if you're in derogation, you're already using um, levers, if you like, to keep you under 250. We just have to pull on some of those levers a bit harder. What has changed here is we've changed the speed limit, but we're not asking people to sort of drive a different vehicle. You're just asking people to drive the same vehicle, but with a different limit, a different upper limit out. Hello, I'm James Dunn, and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights, and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With the recent announcement of a change to the upper derogation limit from 250 to 220 kilograms of organic nitrogen per hectare, I'll be joined a little bit later on by Joe Patton, Head of Chagas Dairy Knowledge Transfer, to discuss the options available to affected farmers. But firstly, I'm now joined by Eddie Burgess, Catchment Specialist from the Agricultural Catchments Programme, to discuss the recent changes to the nitrates derogation. I asked Eddie about the sequence of events that led to this decision being made. The nitrates directive runs on a four-year cycle. For, for each country in Europe, it runs on a four-year four cycle. Some, some run on a different four-year cycle, but they start and end every four years. And um, the regulations change Every, every four years and we're now in I think as we're in our fifth um, nitrates action program as we call it and the last one finished at the end of 2021 and in advance of that the Irish government through the Department of Housing who work with the Department of Agriculture make a submission to Europe saying that we want these changes made to the nitrates action program the European Commission usually agree to that and only after they agree then does Ireland request a derogation? And it was hoped that all that would be wrapped up and done before the end of 2021. The European Commission meet in the beginning of December. Um, it didn't get agreed by then. And the next meeting was in March. And we ended up in a situation where uh, dairy farmers across, mostly dairy farmers, but farmers across the country were getting derogation plans drawn up and submitted to the Department of Agriculture and we didn't know would Ireland be allowed to do that. The decision, it's called the European Commission implementing decision, came through on the 29th of April, granting the derogation at 250. And everyone was relieved. There was a lot of people holding their breaths at that stage, worried. Um, uh, but it came through and it was great relief. But a week or so later, when people had read it in detail, they came across um, the second, towards the end of it, there was a, a section called Article 12. And Article 12 was a midterm review, and it set out quite clearly four criteria that had to be met in uh, water that's been analysed for the Nitrates Directive. And it set out also quite clearly the conditions in, in the analysis that's taken place. Uh, uh, and if those criteria, any one of those four criteria weren't met, any land being farmed that drained into that sampling point would have a maximum stocking rate of 220. So the, the, this is now the midterm review in 2023. The four-year period will finish. Uh, we have 2024 and 2025. And so in two years' time, we will be going through the very same process again to deal with the commission in advance of another application to continue with the derogation. And this is all against the backdrop of another piece of European regulation called the Water Framework Directive. It 
it doesn't look just at agriculture. The nitrates directive is purely focused on water quality and agriculture, but the water framework directive is looking at water quality across the board um, and quantity. It's not just agriculture, but uh, it has a requirement that uh, the water has to reach a certain standard by the end of a six-year period, which ends in 2027. We'll come to these changes in a minute, but what exactly does that mean for um, dairy farmer listeners? First of all, the term derogation means it's an exception. It's a let off. It's a change from the basic rule. And and the European Commissioner of the mindset that we are letting Ireland off the basic standard regulation of 170, um, given the grass growing conditions there. Um, but if water quality is not moving towards the requirement of the Water Framework Directive, that derogation will be removed and we're going to bring them in line with most other European countries. Okay, um, Okay, and obviously there's good reason for that derogation, Eddie, in terms of our grass-based um, our grass-based model and the amount of grass we can grow. Um, yeah. there, there is, there is, like Ireland is unique with it really, with our ability to grow grass um, and, and the length of the grass growing season that takes um, in, nationally here, like grass is growing even throughout the winter, grass grows here, but we often hear figures of in excess of 300 days grass growth in comparison to tillage systems where the crop is harvested and there's nothing growing in the soil during the winter months. Um, that that means we have utilization of nitrogen in the soil for most of the year. Um, and, and that is probably the most significant reason why um, Ireland is granted a derogation. And as a consequence of that, the water quality in Ireland is better than most other European countries, where our water quality would be well up in the top third of European countries' water quality. But there are many different aspects to water quality. Uh, The one that we're hearing now mostly is nitrate. Um, but, um, But nitrate is only one aspect to water quality. Um, Nitrate is uh, usually associated with leaching of water through the soil. It it, it tends to occur in parts of the country where soil is free draining. And when most of the rainwater falls on the land, it percolates through the soil and feeds groundwater, which eventually ends up into our rivers via springs. In comparison to other parts of the country where you have a very heavy clay content or very wet soils, and when it rains, most of the water runs off the surface. So ironically, parts of the country that do not have streams and ditches uh, beside hedgerows uh, tend to be the areas where nitrate is a problem. People usually associate water quality with water courses. Nitrate is a problem where you don't have water courses. Thanks a million, Eddie, as always, very informative. Not all, James. Thanks. Thanks very much. It's it's difficult times. Um, uh, it's going to continue. There'll be a lot of a lot of discussion to go over this, but we have two years until the next uh, review of the nitrates action program takes place. Um, so, um, I, I think if all sectors and if we all do our bit, hopefully, water quality will move towards what the water framework directive is looking for. And if that's the case, I, I would hope that the derogation will continue to be renewed for the next four-year cycle. Thanks very much, Eddie. Some really interesting insights. Now we're going to hear from Joe Patton. And I started by asking Joe the process which affected derogation farmers can take from here. 
we do we do need to really get um farms to begin to to assess their starting position i suppose james you know and we have been talking about this we have been talking about this for for quite a while now for well over a year and you know if you look at the if you look at the um the nitrogen report uh, published by by Chagas back in the spring the the implications or the outline implications of this change were well documented at that point so it's it's our 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 um you know our response to that, or our, our, our outworkings of what it's going to mean for farms, has been laid out on a in, in typical examples, I suppose, in that report. But at the same time, we have to make that come alive now for for the individual. So, look, it's a really a question of getting stuck into it from a from an individual point of view, which your which your advisor assessing is your farm going to be affected. Uh, to what extent, and then maybe getting the three or four options that you can do to mitigate against that. Because we have to remember that while at, a, at an industry level, there is a significant impact at an industry level, the scale of that effect is going to be very different across farms. And certainly for farms that are in a position where they're heavily affected by it, they need to start really taking, take, making that assessment and getting their actions in place um, very soon, you know. And, and really, Joe, you're saying is that is that the starting point in terms of is your farm affected, and by what means, as to uh, you know what sort of an impact that that's actually going to have on your individual farm? There's obviously going to be farms that's going to be worse affected by this decision than others. Um, is that the starting? Abs- absolutely, it has to be. Sure, doesn't it? It has to be because in while the while the um, the concerns are well aired in the media, James, and for, and legitimately so. Uh, we we wouldn't want every farmer listening or every every person listening that that's um, that's managing or operating a herd to think that the 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 scale of the effect is directly hitting them. Uh, it's not it's not as simple as that. So, for example, within the within the nitrogen report itself, there's a sort of an average effect of maybe four hundred euros per hectare of an effect on profit, maybe up to seven hundred euros a hectare uh, effect on profit. But it could be a lot less than that for some farms, or it could be up to that scale on other farms. So we have to first of all make sure that we know what we're dealing with. So that means working out where we are currently, our organic end rates, um, our, our available land, uh, what band we're in, and where we're at with that, uh, and and so that we get in this, we really establish what our organic end per hectare stands at the minute. And obviously, the NMP statements through your advisor will help you to do that. So, for example, if you're sitting at the moment and concerned about this whole thing, but you happen to be at 205 kilos or 200 kilos of organic end per hectare, you're in derogation, but there's no material effect for the moment on you anyway, because it's not really affecting you. However, if you're in a situation maybe where you're pushing close to 250 or maybe in some cases, in a small number of farms, exporting slurry already to stay under 250 the, the effect is going to be quite significant. So certainly where people are exporting, if you're in derogation and still exporting at the moment, there's definitely a need to really um to really get a look at where you're at because that's telling me that there's an issue to be dealt with on the on the farm. And finally, maybe James just, you know, the banding question, there was a lot of talk about that in the in the start of the year. The banding can change from year to year or will change evolve over time. Make sure to double check on your banding as well and see where you're at. Uh, middle band you know, the change to 220 is much easier to deal with, I would say, if you're sitting in the middle band compared to the higher band because the effect in stocking rate is not as severe, possibly. Very good. So when when a farm is of those checks made and ultimately identified where they're at, you mentioned earlier about options, and I suppose 
what are those main options that you believe farmers are going to be considering, we'll say, over the coming weeks, coming months in terms of dealing with this? Well, just to keep this simple, like, I mean, you know, we have been dealing with the, uh, like, you know, in, in ter- the idea of having an, or- an upper limit for organic nitrogen, farmers are, have been dealing with that for years now at this stage, haven't they? So, like, they've been dealing for two fi- at 250, okay? So, really, when you think about it, we're, what farmers have been asked to do now, uh, what we're saying that we need to do is we need to sort of do the same things or versions of the same things, except our target has moved slightly. OK, so like most people are already if you're in derogation, you're already using um, levers, if you like, to keep you under 250. We just have to pull on some of those levers a bit harder to get us to 220, James, if you know what I'm saying. Mm. So like think about this on, on the basis of, you know, what has changed here is we have changed the speed limit, if you want to put an analogy on it. Right. We've changed the speed limit, but we're not asking people to sort of drive a different vehicle you're just asking people to drive the same vehicle but with a different limit a different upper limit on it and when you start thinking about it like that the options for people become much clearer i think because what are we really saying here we need to keep our organic n you know under the 220 that's really the target now so what can we do we either reduce kind numbers we increase the land we have for this for the same number of stock we have uh, possibly you know when we say reduce kind numbers that could be probably should be said really removing surplus stock we should probably be saying rather than reducing kind of numbers uh contract rearing is an option all to get the organic rates down organic nitrogen rates down um we can adjust the banding if we're in the high band we can come if you're only a 100 kilos of milk or thereabouts inside the high band coming back by 100 liters or 150 liters to get you into the middle band that's a possibility. If you can do that cheaply, that's a that's a good way of controlling your 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 uh, options with stocking rate. And then finally, maybe and one that's getting a lot of talk, but possibly it's going to be a bit harder to manage than we than at first glance. Exporting of slurry is another is is another part of it. So really, what are we saying? Reducing the amount of nitrogen produced in the farm, which is a stock numbers question, or increasing the area that we can dilute it with, which is really more land in the system. Okay. And in terms of those options, you've outlined them in terms of five or six different options there. Is there a particular preference or do you see one that's going to be overused um, over and above another? Or, or what's your take on that in terms of uh, particular options that farmers maybe should actually be looking at? Is it a one size fits all, I suppose, is what I'm coming at here? Well, it's 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 certainly not. You know, so wouldn't we all love free land to be the solution, James? You know? You know, if somebody comes up the lane to you and offers you 50 acres for small money. That's a great solution, but that's, that's just not going to happen, is it? So, uh, so extra land is obviously something because remember, like for a lot of people that are maybe already stocked at close to 250, you know, they're maybe, maybe slightly over it and exporting slurry. Maybe in a lot of cases, those farms are buying silage on the stem or buying maize because they might be growing enough silage to, um, but enough winter feed, for example, to, to 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 close the loop in their system, getting the land that they're using for out, you know, for for extra forage, getting that on their maps and getting that normalized uh, is a big part of the equation. I would say for some of the more intensively farmed, uh, so for some of the people at the upper end of the of the of the derogation at the moment. So can we, you know, can we sort of normalize what we have in terms of what we're effectively farming? Can we make sure we, you know. 
provide that extra forage from land that we have under our control from a nitrates point of view. That's a big one for a lot of people. That gets complicated because you're into dealing with landowners and all the rest of it. But you know, if if, if we are far, if you need the feed anyway, is what you you need the maps with it now too. That's the big thing there, really, isn't it? Um, and that that's a big one. So um, the reducing cow numbers is a, is one that gets it's a very emotive one. Uh, but we would say that for some farms, no, that's probably not the way to be going. There are probably economic decisions to be made around cow numbers, independent of nitrates, actually. So for farms that are possibly too heavily stocked, maybe not enough grass to feed their cows, not enough winter feed, maybe the, the impact of trimming the, the cow numbers back by 10%, you know, it might be the worst thing in the world for certain farms in that situation. However, if the herd is high-performing, the grassland production is really, really good. They're already self-sufficient for forage. It's hard to look about reducing cow numbers in that regard, isn't it? Because they're already performing. But I suppose what what are we really saying here? If there are passengers or underperforming animals or unprofitable animals, they should be looked about. Um, in a situation where the herd is really flying, it's much the reducing cow numbers is obviously a much less palatable uh, option, I would say. But don't discount it because there can be. We have seen it, and I know you've talked about it a few times before. We've seen in some cases where, you know, a small trim in cow numbers can be very beneficial to the remaining cows in the herd, but that doesn't apply to anyone, everybody either, I suppose, you know. And no different than the discussions around banding earlier in the year. Fair to say that it may not be one of these options. It could be a combination of options that a farmer had maybe used to mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for their own individual situation. It doesn't have to be one on their own. Is that fair? A fair statement? It, it is because remember, like we just said a few minutes ago, you know, everybody's using a, a combination of these items already, possibly to stay under two fifty. Now we just have to adjust the levers, as I say, to stay under two twenty. Now I'm not disc- I'm not downplaying this, James. I'm not downplaying the impact that it has, and certainly for individual farms, it is a significant impact. And I can see, you know, speaking to some farms and more, uh, some farmers in quite intensive parts of the country, where you know everybody is looking for this extra bit of land. You know, everybody's looking for the contract rearer. Everybody's looking for the land to export. You know, it's difficult when you step outside your own farm gate when there's lots of competition. For land in the area like there's we're not we're not downplaying that at all there is a a real effect here but what we don't want is all farmers thinking that they're all affected to the same extent that's the main point you know we don't want people making panicky decisions without having first stood back from the from the situation and maybe just a quickly i suppose we we i did i did meet a couple of groups there lately and you know, going with this specific question in mind to the group and speaking to the advisor beforehand, this was the big issue we wanted to all talk about. And we we reached the group then and maybe four out of 15 are badly affected. Two out of 15 have some effect uh, and nine out of 15 or the remainder, I suppose, aren't that badly affected at all. If you get me, that's how it's breaking down. But like for the people that are affected, it's a biggie. It's a big, big deal, you know, so we need to get the focus on them. And maybe the final question before we wrap up then in terms of Chagas advisory response to this and in terms of you know what will be available to these affected farmers. That's it. That's another issue. I think obviously and it's important we remember too that you know farmers are feeling the heat around this and all the, the uncertainty and maybe all the all the discussion around it. It's quite um you know, it it it's it's quite concerning and obviously concerning for people. Advisors are, are going to do their best to respond to that. Uh, but they can respond, I suppose, James, and it's something we need to say. We have to make sure that 
our advisors are responding to the rules as they are at the moment and as to the conditions as they are at the moment. And as we know, things evolve and things change over time, if you, if you know what I'm saying. So look, at we, equipped our, we equip our advisors with the best available information as it stands at the moment. You know, and the way this thing has evolved, and maybe Eddie alluded to it as well, this is a this is a fluid enough situation that you know in time with reviews and midterm reviews and things there are changes and movements happening all the time that's very frustrating for farmers it's also frustrating for advisors because they have themselves tuned up on the rules and then the rules move or change or the the limits change so you know we will have obviously our advisors are well tra- well trained and well informed of what the current situation is I think we have to ask farmers too that if you want to have a real conversation around this, don't go to your advisor saying, I want you to have a I want you to talk me through nitrates without having some background and homework done. So what is the homework? It's your it's your land area, it's your sort of co-op reports, it's your milk recording reports, it's maybe have you already looked about land, have you already looked about the possibility of contract rearing? So if you have more information gathered about your own situation. It, it allows yourself and your advisor to have a very good conversation about it. So have a think about it before lifting the phone. Have some idea in your head what it is your preferences are. And then certainly our advisors are available to help maybe make the final decision on some of these things, I would say. Thanks a million, Joe. I think we'll leave it there. Look, I think that was important in terms of, as I said, a lot of the conversation in terms of has been around the decision and the decision making and and policy and the technicalities of that but a step-by-step process there um as to what farmers should do over the coming weeks and months and as you say in terms of advisors will be there to to hit that so thanks a million joe thanks james that's it for this week's episode of the dairy edge podcast and thanks to eddie burgess and joe Patton for joining me on this week's show don't forget to rate review and follow the podcast you can listen on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts For more information, go to the Chalgus website at chalgus.ie and join us next time for your Dairy Edge.